Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. Okay, so we have the, uh, the great privilege of having Pastor Rob Carmen with us uh, this weekend, which is fantastic. So Pastor Rob uh, planted a church in, uh, I think it's Albuquerque, Albuquerque, New Mexico. I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> uh, planted the church and grew it to over 5,000 people. Uh, handed the church on a number of years ago and now ministers all around the world. Has trained over 50,000 leaders, ministered in 70 countries. And uh, is a, a very great friend of C3. Uh, it's been a privilege for Deb and I to meet and get to know uh, Pastor Rob over the uh, past couple of days. We hadn't actually crossed paths up until now. I don't know how that happened to be the case. But uh, he is loved and respected in our movement. Um, and that uh, is a great endorsement for Deb and I. And uh, I can see why after having met and spoken to uh, Pastor Rob. And so uh, we have uh, the opportunity to be hearing from him. So I, I would love for you, church, to stand and welcome Pastor Rob Carmen as he comes to minister this morning. Hey, God bless you. You can be seated. You can be seated. Hey, Ben, I got, I got just, a, just one thought for you, buddy. If you want your marriage to be good from this stage on, remember just this one, one thought. In everything that comes up, you are always wrong. And Emily is always correct. If you'll hang on to that thought, buddy, it will be good from this point on. Hey, it's fantastic to be here at C3 Monash. It's been a while since I've been here, actually. But uh, how many even remember the last time I came? Let me see your hands. A few of you. A lot of, most of you aren't. But anyhow, just fantastic to be here. Um, just to add a little bit onto what your pastor said a moment ago. Had the opportunity, of course, uh, yesterday and then, or, or the day before, and then yesterday just to be with them. And if there's one thing I think that defines their life more than anything is authenticity. And I so appreciate that when somebody is just who they are. You have an amazing husband and wife team that God's put at the helm of this church. I don't have to remind you of that because you know that. And I thank God uh, for Pastor Steve and Deb and their longevity what they've done, what they continue to do, because it's only through that. You know, wisdom doesn't come overnight. It comes through years. And it's because of that that God is going to bring you into a season of your most productivity in your future. Your latter days will by far be your greatest days, and they will have the greatest impact on the kingdom of God. So get ready for a season that's going to launch in your future as God's going to take everything you've done up until this time, and he's going to add his weight behind that and open up avenues and open up doors that you can't even see right now because the God we serve will do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask, think, dream, or imagine. And it's going to be the greatest season of your life. You're going to look at each other in that season, and you're going to say, God, we never knew it could be this good. So just take that word from God. Amen? Hey, are you guys ready? Oh, are you ready? You got your Bible, iPad, smartphone, whatever you got, my God, hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. Wave it around. Make the devil mad. 
I want to uh, I want to go over to the book of Romans. If we're putting a title on this, it would be something that that I think is very very relevant and important, especially in Western Christianity, and that is keeping passion alive. They say one of the one of the most attractive things in, in anything, especially Christianity, is passion. A passionless person, no matter what they know, no matter what they do, is incapable of influencing anybody. There was a, there was a, uh, um, a great tent evangelist back in the United States in the 1950s. His name was Jack Coe. In fact, his son just recently passed away. I happened to read that the other day. He had the biggest tent in America. It was four times bigger than Oral Roberts' tent. Held over 20,000 people. That's a big tent, isn't it? Used to crisscross the United States with this big tent, hold these big healing crusades. And one day he had that tent set up and the thing was completely full and he asked for testimonies. And this woman came running down, grabbed that microphone. He said, you have something? She said, I've got something. She grabbed that mic in front of 20,000 people, and she recited a nursery rhyme. She said, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder where you are. When she said that, two grown businessmen jumped up from their seats, ran down, fell on that sawdust trail, and gave their life to Christ. Jack Coe was dumbfounded. He looked at them, and he said, that wasn't a scripture. That was a nursery rhyme. How is it that you men came forward on that to give your life to God? And they said it wasn't what that woman said. It was what was in her when she said it. That's what we wanted. Passion. Passion. James Dobson, the founder of Focus on the Family, said several years ago that in Western culture, the average Christian will only serve God with passion for five years. Doesn't mean they stop going to church. It just means that they lose that part of it that is so essential in Christianity. Jesus, if you look at his ministry, he started out with zeal. The Bible called it zeal. And it's passion. He ended up with the same thing at the end. In, uh, in the book, I'm going to read, read, read this uh, scripture real quick. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, the NIV, I love this. I love this. Listen to it. Listen to it. It says never. That's a strong never. It's right there on the screen. Never. That's you could stop right there. Never. That's powerful. I mean, if you look at that, there is something that that if it's never, there should never be that time where we lack that. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep. Only you and I can do that. But keep your spiritual fervor or passion serving the Lord. Now, how do you do that? There's not an A to Z where this is concerned. But there is some essentials that I believe are necessary for us to maintain. You know, all fires go out with a lack of wood. So if I'm going to keep something going in my life, I have to feed it. I have to be intentional. I have to, on purpose, implement certain things in my life on a daily basis. And if I don't, especially in the type of culture that we live in, it's easy for a fire to go out. There's so many. I can remember years ago I was in Uganda in Kampala, 
This is back in the 19, early 1990s, and I was out there, and I was talking to this husband and wife. They just got married, this husband and wife. His name was Godfrey. His wife's name was uh, Fiona. And I remember asking him, just, we just randomly talking, and, and, and I said, would you ever want to come to the States? And she said, no. And I said, well, why? And she said, because there's so much distraction where you live, it will probably quench the fire that's inside of me. See, the thing we face in Western culture is distraction. There's so many things going on. There's so many other things that we can do that aren't wrong, but they're good. And so the constant distraction of life, if we don't watch it, will quench the very flame and the fire of God within us. When that happens, we become passionless. We find ourselves simply going through the motions of Christianity. I don't want to go through the motions. We find ourselves in a worship service just reading the words, lifting up hands because other people do it, or the song says we should lift up hands, or somebody says we should lift them up. We become robotic. Whenever we become robotic in Christianity and we're doing it to do it, we almost have to stop and say, why am I even doing this? There's no impetus left. There's no heart. There's no heartbeat. There's nothing prodding, pushing. There's nothing inside of us that's moving us to action, that's moving us to do something. You know, young people don't want a dead religion, a dead God. They want something that's alive. And so if we just represent a passionless culture, I always remember about the story about this guy that was married 40, 40 years, hadn't kissed his wife since they got married. Don't do that, Ben. <laughs> so after 40 years of a passionless relationship, she brought him to the doctor. There's something got to be wrong with this fella. Doctor examined him. Couldn't find anything physical, but he got an idea. So he brought the wife. He had her stand up. He brought the guy back into the waiting room. The guy's sitting down, and he had his wife stand up, and the doctor took this guy's wife and bent that woman over and kissed her like she hadn't been kissed for 40 years. She nearly fainted. He turned to the husband. He said, now that, sir, is what you need to do at least twice a week. He said, fine, I'll bring her to you every Tuesday and Thursday. Said, no, we don't want that. See, that's, that's the wrong kind of passion. Several years ago, I was down in the nation of Peru. We've worked there for years in the nation. We were, I was down in a place called Arequipa, which is the second largest city. Peru's kind of an interesting country. You've know, you got Lima, you've got 10 million people. That's the biggest city. And you've got Arequipa, the second, goes down to a million, nothing in between. And so I was way down there in Arequipa, Peru. I'm doing a youth conference. We had, we had about we had thousands of young people, big convention center. And so I was by myself on this particular trip. By the way, my wife, Ginger, sends her greetings. She didn't, uh, we had a, a baby, a, a grandbaby that was just born, and he was two weeks late, and so on and so forth, threw everything out of, out of whack. Because you're always waiting for him to come, you know. You never know. It would go swing both ways. And then he ended up in NICU for, for a whole week, so she ended up, no, anyhow, that's why she's not here. But! So I'm down there, and they put me in, I, I think one of the, I mean, it was, it, up until, up until the other day when your pastors put me, I can't even pronounce the name of that hotel. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the coolest thing I ever saw. I thought this thing in Peru was the, was the, the oddest hotel I've ever been in until I got in this one. But anyhow, <laughs> so, you know, it's in a good way. So all the rooms in this, in this uh, Peruvian hotel, it went up on the side of this hill, and there was this big, it's called the Rio Chile, but below me, and they were built into the, in, in, uh, into the, like caves, into the dirt. So it was really cool. I mean, I really liked it. So I'm, I'm by myself, and I'm doing this, this youth conference. And, of course, after three or four days of just nothing but Spanish, and my Spanish is limited because I, I, I don't starve to death because I can say taco, tamale, chilada, you know, I can say it. So I'm in this, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm laying on the bed, and I'm flipping on the TV, and really what I'm looking for is English. I'm looking for English. And I thought, well, you know, and so I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm, I got my feet stre- uh, stretched out, and I'm, I'm up, you know what I'm talking about, I'm up against that, that, uh, that uh, wall with a pillow behind me, and I'm flipping. And finally, I hit CNN News. I thought, well, it's only English. I said, well, this is this has got to put me to sleep. I mean, this is the most boring thing I've ever heard anyhow. And so I'm watching it. When all of a sudden, these two guys were, were, had done this study, and they were being interviewed. And so it kind of got my attention when I heard what the study was. I'm, I'm watching this thing, and they, the, the guy interviewing these two young guys, he said, well, what was the study? Well, he said, we discovered that in the United States, there are 300 thousand active, strong, older seniors. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then they went to a clip, a little video clip, and they showed a hundred-year-old man playing tennis against a 94-year-old. And then they asked the hundred-year-old, they said, who won? He said, I did. He said, he's only 94. <laughs> and that got my, that, and then they went to another clip. And they showed an 84-year-old pole vaulter. The guy's running with that pole. Sticks it. I don't even know how they do it. Sticks it in the ground and bam, hits that mat, rolls off, jumps, shakes it. 84! And I'm watching this thing. I'm no longer sleepy. Now I've moved from in a stretched out position on the bed. I'm on the edge of the bed now. And then these interviewers asked these two young guys that did this study. They said, uh, um, uh, uh, did, did, you find, did you find a common, a common thread between all 300,000? They said, oh, yeah. 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 We found one common thread. And, and I'm, I'm watching this. And now I'm on the edge of the bed. I got the volume up. I don't want to miss it. So I got the volume up. And, and I'm watching this. And I've now taken the hotel pad and the hotel pen. I'm taking notes. And, and, and I got it up, and they, and they asked him again. They said, you found one? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, we only found out of 300,000. Listen to this. There's only one. I thought, man, this is good news. Because if they found 10, I can't do 10. 
I was, in a, I was in a conference one time in Dallas called Lion's Roar, and I was one of the speakers. And the guy before me, when you, in your, we, had, we had, you can't believe this thing, we had 42 speakers. It's insane in two days. It's insane. 42 speakers. I did it again this year. I said, how do you, I, it's insane. How can you remember anything? Can't remember anything. And the guy before me, you're limited on your time. He gets up there and he said, I got 15 leadership principles from the book of Ecclesiastes. And I thought, oh, dear God, nobody's going to remember any of them. You got two minutes per principle. And so anyhow, so this guy, this young guy, listen to this, listen to, listen, listen to me, listen to me. I get excited. I hit people. Never hit a woman. Just hit the young guy. Never hit a senior leader either. Just hit the young guy. Watch out, Ben. And so, so they said, we found one. And I, I got excited. I thought I could do, I can, you know, one. You can't get any lower than that. And he said, and they said, well, what is it? He said, well, we only, we found one common thread. Now, I got the volume turned up more. I'm on the edge of the bed. I got the hotel pen and the hotel pad taking notes. And, and so now I find myself talking to the TV every talk. I'm talking to it. Because now I want to know. And I'm saying, well, what is it? And they said, well, we, we, out of 300,000 strong. I don't want you to forget this story. See, that's why I take a long time. See, I also discovered years ago, I discovered years ago, years ago, Andrew, that sometimes I say things that are profound. But I discovered when I say profound things, nobody knows it. Nobody, nobody knows it. So I decided to tell everybody in advance that what I'm about to say is profound. So when I say it, then they'll say, oh, my God, that was profound. <laughs> so anyhow, I'm, 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 I'm got, I got the hotel pen. And the hotel pad. I'm on the edge of the bed. You remember this. They said, we've got, we found one common thread. And, and, and so, I'm going to tell you what it is. You want to know what it is? Huh? Come back at 4.30. I've got, I'll come down. Do you want to know what it is? I don't want to tell you if you don't want to know. In Texas, the biggest food in Texas is, is, is barbecue. We're known for barbecue. I live in Texas. I don't live in America. I live in Texas. There's a difference between the two. And so when you eat barbecue, you have to eat with your hands. You can't, you can't use, they, they don't even give you silverware. It's rolled up in paper. You used to use newspaper, rolled up. And they put it down, then you open the thing up and you use your hands. And the barbecue, so you have two towels, a wet one and a dry one, because the barbecue sauce just runs all the way down. You just wipe it off. You see, people that eat that have passion. So I'm going to tell you what it is, but I want to make sure you, you're hungry for it. So when I tell it to you, it just rolls right down. I mean, just, are you ready? They say we found one. I've said this before. Common. Thread. Here's what they said. Now, let me, let me back, just back up just to know. Hold on. Gonna... Now, as people age, what is the most common thing that older people like to talk about? They like to talk about the past. 
when they were young. And here's what they found. Here's what they found. One, only one, only one, only 300,000. They said when they, this is so powerful because you want to keep passion alive, you got to get this. When they wake up every morning, they don't see their life behind them. They see their life in front of them. There's always a tomorrow. There's, oh, if you walk towards the sun, it will, if you walk away from the sun, it'll cast your shadow in front of you and you'll be chasing a shadow all your life. But if you walk towards the sun, it puts the shadow behind you and you'll never see your past again. There's always a tomorrow. There's always a next day. There's always something greater. There's always something bigger. You never are walking away from something. You're always walking into something no matter where you are. You're never too young and you're never too old. I got a good friend of mine, Wayne Myers. Wayne Myers is called the icon of Mexico. He fought the Japanese in World War II on the, on, on the USS Enterprise, the only, the only uh, um, aircraft carrier in our naval fleet that was never bombed. He spent 18 months in the South Pacific. A 500-pound armor-piercing bomb fell on the wooden flight deck of the USS Enterprise and bounced and went into the ocean and blew up. He got saved on that thing. He's 96 years old today. When he came out, God, he got saved. God dictated the call of God to him. He's from Mississippi. Couldn't speak a word of Spanish. God told him to go to Mexico and build the church. He built 5,500 churches in Mexico. He's 96 years old. I took him to Singapore when he was 88 years old. And we're walking the streets of Singapore, and he looked at me, and he said, he said this. He said, I can't die. I said, really? He said, and he's loud. He said, I can't die. I said, why? He said, because I've got too much to do. There's 300 churches this year I have to build. I can't die. As long as you're walking towards something, your life will never be over. I don't care who. I took a young kid, 17, now 20 years old, a graduate of the most premier Bible school in America, Christ for the Nations, the only student, I've watched thousands of students graduate, the only one that ever came up to me and said, what do you think I should do when I graduate? None of them asked me that question. I said, I'm going to tell you what to do. It's Mike. I'll tell you what to do. I said, I'm going to put you on an airplane. I'm fly you 7,000, 10,000 kilometers to the South Island of Vanuatu called Tana, the most, one of the most primitive places. You're going to stay there a year and evangelize, and you'll come back. You'll never be the same. He did it. Only guy that had the guts to do it changed his life. Today he's pastoring one of the greatest churches in America because he dared to go out and do something with his life. There's always a future. My mom had a next-door neighbor, an old Baptist woman, 90 years old, walked up to her pastor one day and said, I want to become a missionary to China. He said, if I send you to China, you'll die. You're 90. She said, I'm going to die anyhow. Let me decide where I die. I love, are you hearing me? The attitude of defiance where death is concerned is the, the book. Listen, there's, there's a scripture in the book of Job, chapter 5, that said you'll go to the grave in, in full vigor, full vigor, full energy, full passion, full excitement. The greatest thing to have in life is a vision of tomorrow. If without that, you and I become a wandering generality. Jesus was harder on people that did nothing with their life than any other sin that anybody. We talk about this sin and this sin and this sin. I'll tell you what he was tough on. The old timers call it the sin of uselessness. People that buried what they had and never dug it up and took it and used it for what they had. Are you with me so far? 
It make any difference who, how, how old you are, where you've come from. My God, there's gifts, talents, and abilities on the inside. The worst thing you can do is not do anything with them. Take them. Dig them up. Use them for all they're worth and watch what God will do in your life. That's the first thing. i got to hurry up. The first thing. There's got to be something we're moving towards, something we're going towards, something no matter where you are in life. If there's not a bigger tomorrow and everything in your life is in the rear end, you can't drive a car looking out the rear view mirror. You're going to get in an accident. You've got to look forward. You've got to look forward in life. Second thing that we need in life, we need the first thing we need that fuels us. The second thing we need is friends. You can't go through life in a vacuum. You and I can't go through life by ourselves. You, you, our, our destiny does not solely rest in us as an individual. It can't. There's probably 10% of your future is actually inside of you. 90% is in people that you'll hook up with and do life together with. And if we choose not to do that and we become a loner in life, an isolated individual in life, we will completely abort the future that God gave us and wants us to have because your destiny is sitting in the heart and the life of another human being. Let me ask you a question real quick. I'm going to ask you three of them. First one's easy. What's the first miracle that Jesus did? What was the first miracle he did? Huh? Water too? Second question, where does wine come from? Grapes. I said that in one church, and somebody on this side said Italy, on the other side said New Zealand. And I... <laughs> Third question, are you ready? How, how, how do grapes grow? Yes, they grow in, listen, 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 listen to me, listen to, listen to, listen to me. Grapes. Grapes. You only pick on the ones you love. Grapes. The operative word here is the word only. Grapes only. Grapes only. Listen, listen, listen. Grapes, grapes. Only. Grow in clusters. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. Grapes. Grapes. Only. 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 Of all the things God could have compared us to, of all the miracles Jesus could have started with, of all the things, he didn't say we're like oranges. He didn't say we're like apples. He didn't say like watermelons. He did it by turning water to wine. Grapes only grow in clusters. They own, own, own. Only grow. But the grape has to stay in the cluster. Are you with me? It has to stay until it ripens. And it doesn't ripen overnight. Relationships don't ripen overnight. God puts us in a church. But church has got to be more than looking at the back of somebody's head on a Sunday morning. Church has got to 
migrate itself into, into, into small clusters. You call them what you want. They're called something different all over the world. You call them a home group, a cell group. You can call them a, a connect group. But they, but they has to migrate to where we actually are connecting on smaller levels with each other. I've said this for years. Friends will cost you two things, time and money. But the rewards, the benefits from them are immense. And unless I move out of my isolation in Western cultures, more isolated today than it's ever been before, we're actually losing, the next generation, losing the ability to communicate because we never look at people. And so grapes, they have, they have to, you have to, you, you can't, you got it, you have to, Eat with people. You have to spend time. You have to get conversation below a surface level until eventually people's hearts, the only way to get anything ripened is to spend time. It won't happen. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. Life can't mature in a vacuum. It's impossible. And that grape has to, it has to stay in the class. It has to get ripened. And then as it gets ripe, it gets squeezed. Gets squeezed. So the juice of one grape flows in. It all, it all mingles. When relationships get deep and the heart pours out, that's the juice beginning to come. And until that happens, we never mingle. We're never, what's in you never comes in me. What's in me never comes in you. Can't do it. Can't do it. Up until that time, it's surface. Up until that time, it has to ripen, but it has to be squeezed. And that's when destiny is seen. That's when the gifts and the calling and the individual things that God's placed in you begin to affect me. And what's in me begins to affect you, and worlds get bigger. Future gets bigger. Until that time, I'm just here. I'm, 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 I'm vacating what God wants to bring me into, and I'm praying, but I don't recognize it's in the cluster. Isaiah said that the wine is only in the cluster. It's only in the cluster. It's not in anywhere else. So then it's squeezed. And then when the juice is squeezed, what happens? It's, it has to ferment. And when it ferments, it gains the ability to intoxicate. You ever seen anybody intoxicated? Don't look at me that way. They don't talk the same, act the same, or walk the same. We call that biblical transformation. Because intoxication is actually biblical transformation that can never happen through isolation. It could only happen through a cluster. And what's in you comes in me. That's how people, people aren't transformed by themselves. James said, confess your faults. Pour out your heart. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another. That's, that's the mingling that you may be healed, transformed. Now listen to me. Listen to me. That grape could say, I don't need, I don't, I don't need, I do not need the cluster. I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need you. I don't need it. I'll just, I'll just come to church, sit, and go home. Come next Sunday, go home, go home. I don't need the relational component. I've got God. I don't need this. And if the grape decides it doesn't need the cluster, it falls off the cluster. 
And when it falls off the cluster, it dries up. And then it shrivels up. And it becomes this dried up, shriveled up, ugly sultana. I've never met and never seen a good-looking sultana yet. They're, just, they're, just, they're always ugly because they don't do anything because they're just all wrinkles and ugly and dried up. So we have a choice. We can either become wine, which is transformational, or we can become an ugly, dried up, shriveled up sultana. Friends, relationships are so vital. I read a book one time, one of the Christian books, it's called The Lonely American. You can call it The Lonely Australian. The husband and wife co-wrote the book. They're professors at Yale University. And in that book, it was that book was the prelude of almost every book written after that to the condition of culture today. It was the first one that came out called The Lonely American. Fabulous book. And in that, they talked about the church. I thought, that's surprising. These are professors at Yale talking about Christianity. And they said, Christians think because they have a relationship with Jesus that they, don't know, they no longer need the church. And when I read that, I went back to the book of Acts. There's not one mention in the entire book of Acts of Christianity outside of a relational context. Not one. Not one mention in the entire book of Acts of Christianity. Now, we know salvation comes to an individual, but there's no relationship. There's, no, there's nothing in the book of Acts where Christianity is talked about outside of a relational context. It's always they were together. That's why they were so powerful. That's why transformation was so deep. Are you with me so far? And then let me end on this. Let me, this, is, this is so vital to keeping passion alive because, because without the, the relation, see, iron sharpens iron. I, I need, I got to have Ben because without Ben, I might see some fire in this young guy. And I think, my God, I need, I need, I got to get around. What's in him? I got this thing to rub off on me. You see what I'm saying? People challenge people. People affect people. People see things in other people and they think, I want that. I don't want, I want that. That's why you have to have, you want people in your life that have a fire and a passion for God because it, it stirs you up on the insides. And my God, I got to have that. I don't want everybody like me. I want some, I want different people. We're not a bunch of Ken and Barbie dolls. We want, some, we want different types of people in our life because it challenges certain aspects of our life. That's when the iron sharpens iron. And then there's got to be a focus in life. And the focus in life cannot be inward. The more inward we become, the more distracted we become, the more problems you'll find. Introspection is only good for a very limited amount of time. Just read the Bible. It's a dangerous thing to have too much introspection. You look deep enough in you, you're going to find your life is about as screwed up as anybody's. Because you're going to keep on finding things that are wrong. Don't look in, look out. Greatest thing we can do is change our focus in life and begin to look out and give our life away. 
In all the years that my wife and I pastored, and we pastored 22 years, a local church, we used to have several times every year what I called Bring a Friend Sunday. I never told people to invite people to church because the word invitation is not in the Bible. Not in there. Nowhere. In fact, what it says over and over and over again in the four Gospels, it says, and they brought, and they brought, and they brought, and they brought. I named those guys the unnamed heroes of the Bible. Because when the Bible doesn't say who they are, you can put your name inside of it. Because the they are us. They brought people to Jesus. They brought, didn't say they invited them. There's a huge difference between bringing somebody and inviting somebody. If I invite Ben for dinner, he's got a choice. Well, I can't go. Why? Well, I'm getting married. Who cares? <laughs> See, you got a choice. But if I look at him and say, I'm bringing you, then no choice. Choice is gone. I'm bringing him. So we had bring a friend Sunday, and I was very calculated on how we're going to do it. I had everybody write down five, five, five or six people that they knew, co-workers, neighbors, friends, that were either unsaved or unchurched. We spent a month praying for them. And then I would tell them, I said, now, you don't want to approach them too early because I said the biggest deterrent in people's life is, is pe people forget. I mean, you know, they were delivered from Egypt, 400 years of slavery. And, and when they walked out of Egypt, three days, they forgot. So people forget everything. So I said, don't ask them too soon. They'll forget. So I said, about Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday of that, we'd walk up to them and say, this Sunday, and our church is bring a friend Sunday, Ben. I'm bringing you to church. We'll take you out to lunch afterwards. I just want to know what time to pick you up. Now, people will buck. But every time you get a negative, it just means they want you to push them a little bit harder. So I'll never forget. I'll never forget. We had amazing things happen. Pastor Steve, amazing things happen. So there was this one guy we had. He worked for the government, and he had a co-worker by the name. Listen to me. A co-worker's name was Ernesto. Ernesto was, uh, uh, was a, an old Vietnam vet. He went, he fought, he was a, the original, original Navy SEAL. And he did three tours in Vietnam, 64, 65, 66. When he came out of Vietnam, he had blown up his marriage. He became an alcoholic, drinking a fifth of vodka a day, ended up in San Francisco. His next door neighbor was Anton LaVey. That might not mean anything to you, but he was the guy that wrote the Satanic Bible back in the 1960s or 70s. He ended up coming back to our state. That's where he was from. He got a job for the government because you can't get fired. And uh, that's when, when his co-worker came up to him and said, I'm bringing you to church. And Ernesto said, I'm not going to church. He said, no, I've already decided you're going. I just want to figure out the details. And he, and he just, he, I mean, he, he would not let up on Ernesto. The third day entered Ernesto by Friday. And he said, okay, he said, I'll go. But then don't bother me anymore. He said, okay, fair enough. Ernesto went that Sunday, messed up. He was a tunnel rat in Vietnam. He was a diver and a tunnel rat. If you know anything about fighting the Viet Cong, they dug tunnels. You had to go, they sent the smallest chi eyes into those tunnels. You come out or they come out, but both of you aren't coming out. Three tours, nine-month tours each one, three consecutive tours in Vietnam.
He came out all messed up. He said, I was sitting in the middle of the church. He said, right in the middle. He said, I couldn't get out. When he said, I don't know how it happened or when it happened, but he said, my whole body began to sweat. And the next thing I know, I was standing in front of you, and I gave my life to Christ. He said it was like something opened up, and all the years of junk and bitterness came out. Ernesto became our children's church pastor. He married Vivian. I did the wedding. She was Miss New Mexico. Ernesto, to this day, he's in his 70s now. He pastors a church in Galveston, Texas. And every time I see Ernesto, he'll cry because everything changed the moment somebody brought him to church. When they touched Ernesto, they had no idea. They were touched the ripple effect that would happen through his life. There's a sea of humanity out there. And they're waiting, I promise you, for you and I to walk into their world and say, I'm bringing you, and I'm not taking no for an answer. I've been praying, and I'm bringing you to church. Stand up with me. Stand up with me. Stand up with me. Stand up with me. The Bible says in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, Jonah was on a boat. The boat was going to crash. I mean, everybody's going to be killed. And Jonah looked at everybody, and he said, throw me into the sea. And the storm will stop. Verse 12, chapter 1 of Jonah. Verse 15, chapter 1 of the book of Jonah. It said they, I love it. It's so graphic. It said they picked him up. That's violent. And they threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped. There's a sea of humanity out there. And it's raging in the lives of people. This is a throwing station. When we get thrown into the middle of somebody's storm, and when you and I get thrown into the middle of somebody's storm, the storm will stop. It'll stop. Bow your heads with me tonight, this morning. Bow your heads. Open your heart. If you're here, you might be like Ernesto. If you're here today and you would say, I'm not, I'm not right with God. Or maybe you've accepted Jesus, but you've walked away. Maybe you've never accepted him, or you did, and you've walked away. In a few moments, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, that becomes your signal to him to say, God, I want to be right. Maybe somebody brought you here. Maybe you've come before, but, but you've resisted that full encounter with the person of Jesus Christ that wants to transform and change your life. Get ready right now with your heads bowed and your hearts open. If you're here today and you would say, i got to get right with God, get ready to raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. Get ready. Here we go. One. Get ready. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. The only moment I have to respond to God is right now. I'm not promised anything else, but I've got now. If you're not right with them, get, get ready to raise your hand. Here we go. Here we go. Two. Jesus did not die in a closet. He died on a hill. He didn't hide his death. He exposed it. If I'm going to serve him, I don't hide my faith. I let the world know that I've decided to give my life to the person of Jesus Christ. 
because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. If you don't know him or you're not right with him, get ready right now. Here we go. Get ready to raise your hand. Here we go. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Three. Put your hands up. If that's you, just put them up. Across the other. Okay, I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? I'm just going to look across the auditorium. Just put it up high enough where I can. I see that hand. Several hands have gone up. Several hands have gone up. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Now we're going to pray. We're going to pray. If that's you and you've lifted your hand to God, I'm going to ask you just to come down here. We're going to pray together. There's three or four people have raised their hand. And just take that bold step. Jesus took a massive step when he put a cross on his back and walked up to Golgatha's hill to be crucified openly and publicly for our life. We can take a step forward in with people that love us and pray for us. So if that's you, I want you to come forward right now. Just come on up here. We're going to pray. Just go ahead and come. You raise your hand. Be bold enough. You brought somebody that raised your hand. Bring them up. Just bring them up. Just bring them up. Just come on down here, right? Come on. Going to get right with God. Just come on. Come on. Just say, that's good. That's good. Come on down. Just come on down. Young man right here. Listen, buddy right here. Come on down. Come on down over here. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. This is fantastic. Because life changes when we get that open and honest with our faith. I want us to pray this prayer. If you're saying this for the first time or any time, we're not, we're not just repeating words. We are saying this prayer to a living Savior. Say this with me, the whole church. Say this with me from the bottom of your heart, out loud. Say it with me, O oh God in heaven, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for my sins, was raised from the dead to give me life. Lord Jesus, I open my heart, and I ask you now, come into my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Cleanse me now of all my past. I'm, and, and from this day forward, I'm going to live for you and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a big hand clap? Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.